Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The InDesigner, the video cast that provides information, instruction, and insight for designers using and learning Adobe InDesign. I'm your host, Michael Murphy, graphic designer, Adobe certified expert, author of InDesign CS4 Styles from Adobe Press, and InDesign CS4 Learning Grep from Lynda.com. And here we are, April 12, 2010, launch day for Adobe's Creative Suite 5, which of course includes InDesign CS5, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to take a look at some new features in the new version, so let's not waste any time, let's get right to it. Many of the new features in InDesign CS5 are designed to simplify how you work with objects on the page, eliminating the need to select and deselect multiple objects, group things temporarily, make multiple trips to the tools panel to switch tools, go to menus, draw guides, all that sort of thing, and really let you work as quickly and intuitively on the page with objects as you can. Let's take a quick look at some examples of how this works. I'm going to place some images on this page. I'm going to grab these three right here, click open, and I get my loaded place gun with three images in it. I'm going to click and drag to place this image, and before I let go, I'm going to hit the right arrow key on my keyboard, and notice that this frame is now split into two. If I hit my right arrow key again, it's split into three. If I hit my up arrow key, I've now created a grid of six. Up arrow again creates nine, but I only want three in a single row. So I'm going to actually drag this out to here, release the mouse, and I've just placed three images in three perfectly evenly spaced frames. Now they don't exactly fit inside the frame borders themselves, so I'll use the fit frame to content keyboard shortcut, and that was nice and easy. Now that they're in here though, I'm not sure that that's the spacing between images that I really want. This is the default when the images are placed. I might want that spacing a little bit tighter. And I'm not going to deselect anything. I've got all three images selected. I'm just going to go over to the right handle on this rightmost image, click and hold my mouse, and then hit the space bar. And as I drag my cursor to the left, I start closing up the spacing between the images. As I drag it to the right, I start opening up the spaces. That's all I'm changing, is the space between. This is called Live Distribute, and it's an amazing time saver that lets you quickly and easily and evenly change the spacing between images. I like that spacing, so I'm just going to let go. Now I might decide that I would like to rotate all of these three images together. In previous versions, you would have to select all three objects, group them temporarily, switch to the Rotate tool, and rotate them, then ungroup them if you wanted to work with them separately. Here's how I do it in CS5. I'm going to select all three images, and I'm going to move my cursor out to just outside of any corner point, and you'll see this change in my cursor to a rotation cursor. And I'm just going to click and start rotating all three images at once, even though they're not part of a group. I'll click off, and you can see each of the images can be moved separately because they were never part of a group to begin with, but they were all rotated at the same time. If I select them all, let's see if that live distribute function still works. I'll click and hold here, and hold down the space bar, and even rotated images get live distribute. This is a great, great feature. I'm going to undo the rotation, and let's take a look at another real-time saver in Simplified Transformations. I'm going to click on this image, 
And you'll notice now when you select frames in InDesign, on the right side toward the top, there's this little yellow square. The tooltip tells you that you click that to edit the corners of the objects. When I do, all four corners have these little yellow diamonds. All I have to do is start dragging one of those diamonds inward, and I am creating rounded corners instantly on this object. If I bring them all the way out again, there are no rounded corners. If I hold down the Shift key before clicking this point, I can actually change just this corner. And you'll see I get a little tooltip radius measurement as I do so, so I can know exactly how much this is being rounded off. Let's say I want this at six points. And I can do the same on the bottom right. Shift and drag and I get a six point curve on the opposing edges of this. This is a nice look. I see this a lot and I like to do this in my designs and it's typically been a lot of work in the past. You'd have to either add additional points yourself or run the corner option script that ships within design, but then if you change the dimensions of the object, you'd have to revert it to a rectangle and start all over again. Here, these are live corner effects, so if I just drag this down, I still maintain that exact opposing curve in the top right and the bottom left. You'll find options for greater control and precision over these corners up here in the control panel. If I option click this little icon, I get a corner options dialog which now has independent controls for all four corners. The effects are the same, none, fancy, bevel, inset, inverse, rounded, and rounded, but now I have complete control over which corner effects get applied where. This can also be saved as part of an object style, which is an even greater time saver. If I open the object styles panel and choose new object style, I can actually create a style for this image that's alternating corners. And if I go under stroke and corner options, you'll see that these corner options are here. There's my top right rounded corner here, and here's my bottom left rounded corner. I can click OK and then select these other two images, apply that alternating corner style, and they have the same look and feel. You may have noticed something as I've been moving my cursor over some of these images, and that's this white ring at the center of each frame. This is the new content indicator ring, affectionately known as the donut, this new tool is designed to essentially prevent you having to switch to the direct selection tool just to move an image inside of a frame. If you hover over the content indicator ring, you'll see that the cursor changes to a grabber hand. Click and hold, and then you can move the image inside the frame to whatever position you like. Release, and you're right back to the selection tool. No tool change is involved, and you've been able to move that image around. If you do want to actually select the image that's inside the frame, not the frame itself, just click on the content indicator ring, and now I'm selecting the cropped image. Once again, I can rotate that cropped image inside the frame just by hovering over any of its corners. But notice, I'm still using the selection tool. The go-to tool most of the time when you're working in a layout is the selection tool you're going to be clicking on objects, you're going to be moving them around, that sort of thing, and you always find yourself inside of one tool and trying to get back to the selection tool, or using the selection tool and just temporarily needing to get another tool. Everything in the tool panel has a keyboard shortcut. For instance, if you want to switch to the type tool, you hit the letter T, and notice there's my type tool. There are other keyboard shortcuts like G for the gradient tool, R for the rotate tool, I for the eyedropper tool, and so on. But once you hit that shortcut, you're in that tool, and you have to deliberately go back to the selection tool. If, for instance, you just wanted the eyedropper for a moment, you could press and hold the I key, 
click where you want to to get the color that you want to sample, and then let go of the I key and you're right back to the selection tool again. If you wanted to temporarily draw out a text frame, hold down the T key, draw your frame, and then release the T key and you're right back to the selection tool. And then you can move that text frame wherever you want. Same thing applies for a quick switch to the zoom tool. Hold down Z, zoom in on what you want, and release the Z key. And you're back to the selection tool. Put together all of these little simplifications and the reductions in the amount of steps and time it takes you to work with your objects on the page add up to a whole lot of productivity and efficiency. Another great new feature in InDesign CS5 is the ability to automatically generate captions from data that's stored in the photo itself. Let's take a look at how this works. I've got two photos on this page. One has a caption that says the road into Doolin 2006. And I'm going to select that frame, hold down the option key, and drag it over under this photo to make a copy of it. And notice that the caption now says a quiet street in Amsterdam 2007. The text in these captions is automatically generated from the metadata in the image itself. I'm going to select the image, right click on it, choose reveal in bridge. And notice here it is, amsterdamstreet.jpg. And over here in the metadata, in the description field, it says a quiet street in Amsterdam 2007. And maybe I want to actually change that. I want to be a little more specific. So in this files metadata, I'm going to make that May 2007. And then I'll click the apply checkbox. And while I'm in here, I'm also going to modify this photo of Doolin and be more specific about the month and put in October 2006 and apply that. Now I'll go back to InDesign and I'm going to open up the links panel and you'll notice that both of my links here are out of date. Even though the images themselves have not been altered, their metadata has. So I'm going to go to the panel menu and choose update all links and take a look. My captions now reflect the new metadata related to this file. Let me show you real quickly how this is set up. I'm going to delete these photos and then place in that Amsterdam Street photo once again, drop it on the page, and then I'll right click on the image and go to Captions, Caption Setup, and here's where I can choose what metadata gets assigned to this. Notice it says Description since that's the last thing I used when I was in this panel, but I can use any of this metadata to generate the text for a caption. Description is fine, so I'm going to leave it at that. I can choose a paragraph style for that caption, put the caption on the same layer as the image or on a different layer. I can group it and I can position that caption frame either below, above, to the left or right of the image and give it an offset value. I'm going to leave everything the way it is now. Click OK. So the caption setup is in place. Now I just need to generate it. I'm going to right click on the image again, go to captions and choose Generate Live Caption. I can also generate a static caption that'll bring the metadata in, but it won't remain linked to it. I want a live caption that will continue to change like we saw before. So I'm going to choose Generate Live Caption, and there you go. There's a text frame to the size of my image with the text of that metadata in it. If I choose to replace this image with another photo that has metadata, I can just do File Place, Replace Selected Item is on, and I'm going to choose this image, click open, and as soon as I place it in, I get the appropriate caption for that. So this is a great time saver if you have a catalog of images that have metadata built in, if you're swapping out a lot of stuff, 
this is a great way to automatically generate captions. InDesign CS5 finally solves a problem that designers have been grappling with for years. Here's a typical situation. You've got a multi-column frame with some text flowed into it. And for layout purposes, you'd like this headline here and the deck that follows it to span all three columns, and this intro paragraph with the drop cap to span the first two columns. Then down here at the bottom, there's this editor's note, which should also span all three columns at the bottom. And you know how this has gone in previous versions. You have to, you know, move the text frame down here, click the import, and draw out a new frame that spans the three columns, get all the text you want in there, and then create a new text flow by dragging out another frame. That's two columns to fit the intro, and then you've got to go to the text wrap panel and put a wrap on that, and then you've got to draw that up to get your text in there and push the other text, and then you've got to move all the frames together and try to balance it. But now you can't see the text here at the bottom that you need to also span three columns, so it's very tedious. It's a big pain. Let's take a look at how you do this in InDesign CS5. So here I'm in another document. CS5 and I'm starting from scratch where I started with the other example and one of the first things you might notice about this frame it is a multi-column frame so everything is just in one single frame with three columns but you'll notice that this frames not quite behaving the way your typical text frame behaves in that the text isn't flowing all the way down here to the bottom of the first two columns and then leaving a big gap here at the bottom of the third column. Instead, it's all balanced out. This is a new frame-based attribute called Balance Columns. If I option double-click on this frame, you can see in the Text Frame Options dialog the Balance Columns checkbox. This happens automatically. So as I draw this frame out and make it wider, all of the columns balance to the new width. This is great if you're working on a newspaper, newsletter, or magazine where you've got multiple articles on a page. It really speeds up how you balance out individual stories in your layouts. But let's get back to solving the original problem, which is getting my text to span across columns. I'm going to choose the text tool, put my cursor in the headline, and I'm going to start using some of these styles that I've created for this demo. The first one is headline. I'm going to apply that, and that's interesting. And I'm going to apply the deck style to the next paragraph. And that spans all three columns. I'll put my cursor in the intro paragraph. And I'm going to assign the intro paragraph style to that. And that spans two columns. And then I'll go down here to this editor's note at the end and apply this editor's note style. And at the bottom of the frame, it spans three columns. And again, you'll notice that the frame is balancing out. If I stretch it out here, the balance columns attribute on the frame continues to do the same thing and the text that spans multiple columns adapts its width based on the new size of the frame. This is an amazing time saver. It even works when you align the text to the bottom of the frame. I'm going to choose that option up here by clicking the align bottom button and there you go. You might have noticed a slight lag as it did that, there's a lot of calculation going on here between balancing columns and spanning columns. So the redraw on these I found is a tiny bit slower the more of the spanning that you have going on. That second or two of waiting is nothing compared to the amount of work that this saves you. Another problem that this feature solves is here in the middle of the page. I'll zoom in and 
we've probably all encountered this too, a bulleted list of short items that just creates a huge hole in the column in your layout. And the solution here has typically been to either create a table and meticulously distribute your text within the left and right cells of that table, to start a new text flow into a two column frame and then back out into a single column frame, or to put in an anchored text frame and work with that. All of them are a little tedious and the more you edit the document, the more adjustments you have to make as you go. But with CS5, all I need to do is select this bulleted list and apply this bulleted list style and take a look. The feature not only spans columns, but splits columns as well. All of this functionality is built into the paragraph level. So if you go to the control panel in paragraph mode, you'll notice that there's a new option up here, split two, which is how this text is handled. It splits this column into two and a number of span options, span all, span two, span three, span four. If I option click this little span columns icon, I open up the span columns dialog and my options here are to split or span columns. I can add as many sub columns as I want in a split or however many columns that I want my text to span. There's space after span and space before span. And for split columns, you can assign an inside gutter and an outside gutter. Because it's a paragraph level attribute, you can also build it into a paragraph style. And that's exactly how I applied all of this so quickly. If I right click on my headline style, you can see over here, there's a span columns option added to the paragraph style options dialog. I'll click that and there are all those span column options we just saw in the dialog. So you can build this into your headlines, your decks, and any other styles. Another feature users have been asking for for years that's finally made it into InDesign CS5 is support for multiple page sizes in a single document. I'm going to create a new file. I'm going to make it four pages at regular letter size. I'm going to click OK. And suppose this is going to be a four-page brochure, but it's going to have a small gatefold flap at a different size on the front cover. In previous versions, I would either have to create that front cover page size to be the combined size of both the cover and the flap, or I would have to create a separate document and just design the flap separately in that at the different size. Neither of those were really preferred or efficient ways of doing this. Before I get started, I'm going to quickly turn off Allow Document Pages to Shuffle and Allow Selected Spreads to Shuffle. And I'm going to add a new page to the right of this cover in the Pages panel. And it adds a page at the exact same size. But what I'm going to do quickly is switch to the new Page tool in the Tool panel. And then I'm going to click on this page I just added. The page is now a selectable item in InDesign with the page tool. And you'll notice that as I did that, my control panel has changed and given me page related options that I can change. So let's say this little smaller flap is going to be half the size of the page. Well, I'm just going to type backslash two in the width field and I'll hit tab. And now I've got a page that's that size. When you're using the page tool, you can also turn on enable layout adjustment before you change a page size to have any layout adjustment settings you may have built into your file take effect when you change the page size. You can decide if objects do or don't move with the page as you change the size. And you'll notice that both of these are linked to the A master page, even though that master page 
is a letter-sized page. This also has the same column and margin settings as that master page, even though they're different sizes. Since this little fold-over flap is going to need something on the other side, that's actually going to hinge onto page 2. So I'm going to make a copy of this page, and then just attach it to this spread. So now I've got my flap page all accounted for. It will print as a separate page. It will print with its own crop marks. And another little feature I think you'll like is when I export this file to a PDF, I'm going to choose these three pages here as spreads. Under Marks and Bleeds, I'm going to make sure the crop marks is turned on. Let's make sure we can view this PDF after exporting. I'll click Export. And here's the exported PDF. You may notice up here I've got my crop marks, but I've also got fold marks, which is something that InDesign has never had before. Now there's absolutely no control whatsoever built in for fold marks, but they're there, and they've never been there before, and I think that counts for something. If you follow me on Twitter or frequent my blog, you may have seen this post from about a week ago in which Adobe gave me permission to give a little sneak peek into some of the things you'll be able to do with InDesign CS5. I'm not going to walk through how this entire complex animation was created, but I am going to give you a glimpse of a little piece of it. InDesign CS5 has added a lot of interactive features that allow designers to use an application they're comfortable with to publish out to medias they might not be, like Flash or SWF, and also to interactive PDF. These interactive options are evident as soon as you go to create a new document in InDesign. The New Document dialog has an intent pull-down for either print or web. When you choose web, a few things happen. First, the page size will revert to one of these standard monitor sizes. The orientation goes to landscape, and you'll see that a pixel-based measurement, which didn't exist in InDesign before, is used as the standard. I'm going to click OK. And because this document was created with a web intent, if I look at the transparency blend space under the edit menu, that's set to RGB instead of CMYK. And if I open up the swatches panel, that also contains all RGB colors. I'm going to switch from the advanced built-in workspace to the built-in interactive workspace. And you can see here that a number of panels specific to interactivity are made available. There's the animation panel, the timing, preview, media, object states, and buttons panel. Now the buttons panel is the revamped buttons panel from InDesign CS4, but the others are all brand new. I'm going to quickly go through setting up a basic animation in InDesign, which is only one of the interactive features available. You'll see a lot more interactivity in Adobe's demos, but I'm going through this very quickly for the podcast. And along the way, I'm going to point out as many cool new things about CS5 as I can, whether they have anything to do with interactivity or not. I'm going to place some files in this document, these two Illustrator files here. I actually want the other file first, so I'm going to hit the right arrow to select this background image. I'm going to click to place it on the page, and then I'm going to click to place this little germ character on here. And I'm going to resize this background object so that it actually fits the full width of the page. I also want to lock this background frame, but I'm going to do it in a way that you haven't seen in InDesign before. I'm going to go to the Layers panel, and you may notice that the Layers panel doesn't quite look the same. First of all, there's this little disclosure triangle. This is the kind of thing you're used to seeing in Illustrator, and in fact, InDesign's Layers panel has been rebuilt from the ground up, like Illustrator's. If I click this triangle, you'll notice that I can now see information for every object on the layer. 
I can also see that this object is selected because it's got the little square next to it. If I click this little square, I select this object. Each object has come in with its Illustrator file name as the layer name. If I were to draw a rectangle, it would say rectangle and so on. But I can change those names to whatever I want. In fact, I'm going to change this germ illustration name to just germ. Landscape AI I don't care about. In fact, I need to lock this layer. So what I'm going to do is lock this in the layers panel. And you'll notice in CS5 that locked objects indicate that they're locked with this little lock icon on the frame. Also in CS5, a locked object is really locked. You can't do anything with it, unlike in previous versions, where even though you couldn't change its position, you could edit the text inside a frame or move an object inside a frame, but not the frame itself. In InDesign CS5, locked means locked. Okay, let's get on to animating this object. I'm going to close the Layers panel, and I'm going to open the Animation panel. And notice that because this object is selected, the name for this animation is automatically assigned its name in the Layers panel. Another great interaction between some of these new features and the revamped Layers panel. There are a number of animation presets that you can choose to very quickly get some basic animations on the page. I'm going to choose the Fly In From Left preset. And notice in the top, this little butterfly icon, each time I move over it, shows me what that animation is going to look like. Now you'll notice that it's fading in, and I don't want it to do that. I want it to just fly in. So I'm going to click this little triangle next to Properties, and where it says Opacity, I'm going to turn off Fade In and switch it to None. Now it's telling me I'm working with a custom preset that's based on Fly In from left. The object now has this green line on it, which is a motion path, indicating where it starts and where it ends. I can see from the motion path that this is actually going to start still on the page. It's not flying in from off the side of the page, it's flying in from on the page itself. If I click this little animation proxy icon, this gray box indicates exactly where this frame is going to be when it starts in the animation. That's too close for me. So I'm actually going to move the page over and click this motion path, then grab its endpoint here, and have it start off the page. That's where I want this guy to fly in from. I also don't want him to fly in in a straight line. I think it would be better if there was a little bit of a curve to how he flies. So I'm going to grab this point here, switch to my direct selection tool, click this point, and then using the convert direction point, I'm actually going to edit this motion path just like I would edit any line in InDesign. And I'm going to give it this nice sort of graceful arc for the animation. So now I've changed how it comes in on the page. At this point, I'd like to see it come in. I'd like to see how it works. And in CS4, you couldn't animate things, but you could export to Flash. However, if you wanted to see what your Flash output was going to look like, you had to actually export it and then view it either in a browser or in the Flash player. That's time-consuming, it's kind of annoying, and it creates a bunch of Swift files on your computer that you probably don't want. In InDesign CS5, there's a new preview panel, and I'm just going to click Play in the preview panel, and I get a look at what my animation is going to look like immediately. If I option-click it, I can play that same animation again without churning out the Swift file. I can also make this preview panel bigger so it's more useful to me. Option click again and there's how my animation looks. Not too bad, but 
It's a tad boring. The guy comes in and he just hangs there in midair. I'd like him to sort of hover and bounce around a little bit to make the animation a little bit more interesting. But InDesign's animation features are not timeline-based the way Flash is and the way Photoshop's animation panel is. So at first it might seem like this is all I can do with this animation, but it's not. I'm going to close the preview panel and I'm going to go back to the animation panel. Right now, this is my germ animation, and I'm going to call it germ fly-in right now, because this is just the first step in what's going to be a multi-step animation. Since I can only attach one animation to an object, and I've already done one to this, how do I have it do something else? Well, I'm just going to draw a circle right here, somewhere on the page, and I'm going to turn off the stroke that's put on by default, so now I've got this basically invisible circle here, and I'm going to group it with this creature. And look what's happened. I'm no longer dealing with the germ object. I'm dealing with a group. Let's take a look in the layers panel, and notice I now have group and circle, which I just drew, and the germ fly-in object that was in there before. I'm going to call this hover layer. And notice in the animation panel, this is now called hover instead of group. I can now add an animation to this group on top of the animation that I added to one of the objects in it. And this little animation, I'm going to use a custom preset that I created already just to save time. And it's called custom hover. And it's this little motion path here. I'll zoom in. And it's just this little irregular path that this animation guy is going to follow. And I want him to travel along that path for about three seconds, and I want to loop this part of the animation. I just want to have him hover in place and loop on that path over and over again. So let's go back to the preview panel and see what I have now. Here he comes, and now he starts to hover. But did you notice that little pause? It's just one animation, and then the next animation starts. That's how these animations work in InDesign. I'm going to close this, and now I'm going to go to the timing panel. And you can see here's the first animation I created, Germ Fly-In, and here's the second. And they play in this order, from top down. I want this guy to be sort of hovering on that path as he flies in, so it looks a little more natural when he comes onto the page. So I'm going to shift-select both of these two in the timing panel, and click this Play Together icon. And now you can see the two animations are linked. They're going to play at the same time. Let's go back to the preview panel and see what that does. Notice it's much more natural now. He sort of comes in and he's already hovering on that path. There are other adjustments I can make in the animation panel. When he flies in, I'd like to add a little easing at the end so he sort of slows into position. Now, when I have this group selected, I've got my hover animation in here. How do I get back to my original animation? I need to get to one of the objects in this group. And InDesign CS5 lets you do that much easier. And this has nothing to do with animation. It's just something I'm using in this example. If you double-click a group, you get to the object in that group. I'm going to undo that and let's watch it again. Here I have the group selected. Notice the animation panel says hover. If I double-click this, I have now selected the object in here, and the animation panel now says germ fly-in. 
So I've clicked down into the group. If I double click again, I click into the frame. So I've now got the art placed inside the frame as my selection. If I want to reverse this and go up a level, I hit the escape key. Now I'm back to the selected frame. You can see it's here in the animation. And I'm going to change this speed instead of from preset, I'm going to say ease out, which will slow the animation up at the end. If I want to go back out to my next level, my grouped animation on top of this, I hit the escape key, and now I've selected the group. So this ability to click into groups and escape out one level at a time from groups is a new InDesign CS5 feature that I like a lot. Okay, let's go back to the preview panel and see if we like this animation. I'll click play, and there he is. He sort of bounces in with a little slowdown and hovers in place. And because I've got a loop, he'll hover indefinitely. Now let's export this out to Swift and take a look at this in a web browser. I'm going to just select this object on the page before I do that, and you'll see why in a moment. I'm going to hit Command-E to export. Let's give it a more web-friendly version of this file name, germ underscore animation in lowercase. The format is Flash Player. I'll click Save. And under these options, I can choose, notice I can choose Selection. I have this one animated object selected. I could just export the animation, not the background behind it or anything else on the page as a Swift by itself, but I'm going to do the actual page, page one in this document. I'm going to have InDesign generate the HTML file that includes the embed tags and everything else for this Swift file. And I'm going to click View Swift after exporting, which will show me the page in the browser once it's done. I can either do it at this size, 100%, or I can fit it to another dimension. Let's say I wanted to shrink this down to, say, 640 by 480. I'm not going to get into any of the other settings right now. Let's just click OK and export this file. And it opens Firefox that quickly with my germanimation.html file with my Swift placed inside of it. Now, there's been a lot of media attention about Flash lately because Apple and Adobe are having a big thing about the iPad and whatever else. And this begs the question, why would someone use InDesign to do this? Well, not a lot of people are comfortable in Flash. So maybe starting out baby steps in InDesign with something like this adds a comfort level for a lot of designers that they might need. The other thing is, in CS5, InDesign is now the one application in the Creative Suite from which you can output a beautiful print document, an animated interactive Swift, and an interactive PDF. That, to me, makes InDesign more powerful than it's ever been before. How many people use these features and what they use it for remains to be seen, but I'm excited to see what people do with it. That's all I have time to show in this episode, but I'll be back as soon as possible with a new episode, and in the meantime, you can see a full list of the new features in InDesign CS5 on the blog at www.theindesigner.com. I'm also writing a full review of InDesign CS5 for creativepro.com that'll be available when the software ships, and I'll make everybody aware of that on Twitter. I'm also going to be part of an all-day event in Washington, D.C. on May 25th that covers the entire Design Premium Creative Suite. I'll be presenting along with Noha Adele and Chris Converse. It's an all-day event, and you can register at this URL. 
As more information becomes available on all of this, including CS5, I'll post updates on Twitter, so please follow me there. My Twitter name is The InDesigner, and if you don't follow me already, please do. You can also become a fan on my Facebook page for the podcast, post questions on the blog at www.theindesigner.com, email me at info at theindesigner.com, or look for me on AIM or iChat as The InDesigner. And I couldn't do a podcast without closing on a shameless plug. I want to remind everybody that InDesign Styles, even though it's called InDesign CS4 Styles, is still entirely relevant for CS5. All of the features in CS4 are still in CS5, and in fact, many of them even go back to CS3. So just because there's a new version doesn't mean you can't still go out and buy the book. And the same thing applies for my lynda.com course, InDesign CS4, Learning Grep. Grep find change and grep styles work the exact same way in InDesign CS5. So that course is still a valuable resource and I encourage everyone to go check it out. That's it for this episode. I'll be back as soon as I can with a new episode. Until then, this is Michael Murphy for the InDesigner video podcast. Thanks for watching.